In your family, do you have family meetings? We do in ours. At one point, we were very strategic, doing it almost weekly as we just kind of map out our week ahead. Sometimes it's a little more sporadic whenever the need arises. And the thing about a family meeting is we make sure that everyone is present. Everyone needs to hear the information because everyone needs to respond to it in some way. Everyone has a role to play within the family. It's one of the privileges of being a part of the family. As Paul is writing to Titus, he's telling Titus what he really needs to focus on as he's leading this church in Crete. And so far, Paul has said, hey, Titus, you've got to focus on leadership, about appointing good, godly leaders. And then Paul says to Titus, and what's next is you need to call a family meeting. You need everyone there because everyone has a role to play. Everyone's involved in this. You don't just have a healthy church by having healthy leaders. Everybody needs to play their part. And so this morning we get to pull up a chair. We get to be involved in that family meeting. And as Paul tells Titus the things that everyone needs to focus on, well, it's not very politically correct, but it is very practical as Paul gives this right side up wisdom for an upside down world. Let's go ahead and be a part of this family meeting together. We'll see it in Titus 2 verses 1 through 8. Titus 2, 1 through 8, Paul writes, You, however, must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, and sound in faith, in love, and in endurance. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can urge the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, and to be subject to their husbands, so that no one will malign the word of God. Similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled in everything. Set them at an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned. So those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. So Paul tells Titus, hey, here's what everyone needs to know about what their primary responsibility is in the family and the church, because this is what every family, every church needs. And so he begins by saying, here's what the older men, what the older women need to know. And right off the bat, we see that Paul is not very politically correct, because can you just imagine in our day, hey, we're going to have a meeting and we're going to have all the old men. We're going to do a class for you, all the old women. We're going to have a class for you. Nobody really wants that title. So we come up with things to make it sound good, sound a little better, put everything more at ease. Paul, he's not worried about that. He just says it like it is. Older men, here's what you got to focus on. Older women, here's what you need to focus on. And the question then becomes, well, how old is old? What qualifies as old? I mean, I don't really want to be the one to tell you that, but... It was understood in those times that in, in the Greek and Roman world that over 50 was considered old. And so this was the target audience that Paul would have in mind. For the older men and older women, he's thinking about anyone over the age of 50. And so he begins that here's what the older men need to know. They, they need to be temperate. Here's the role they have to play. They need to be temperate. Um, by the way, this is what 
an older Christian man should know and what older Christian women should know and younger Christian women and younger Christian men, what they should know. It doesn't mean that they're practicing these things. It doesn't mean this is what they're doing. But if they want to be more faithful, more satisfied, more godly, more effective, then this is what they need to know. And so for older men, you got to be temperate. They should not be overindulgent. They should not be given in to like intense emotions that flare up quickly and then die down just as fast. The, they should be free from any addictions. Paul, in a sense, he'd already said that the, uh, he'd already called the, the Cretans dirty old men. He said that their minds and their consciences were defiled, that they were detestable. So, no, Paul tells Titus that the church needs to do something about that. The, the church needs to set a different example. We need older men to show what it means to be healthy, to be mature, to be wholesome, to, to, to be pure. And so old men should also be worthy of respect. They should be dignified. Now, this doesn't mean that they should never laugh or they don't have any kind of sense of humor. That's not it at all. It's just that they don't laugh at the wrong things. They're not making off-color jokes or this kind of thing. That There's something about this person that they've grown up. There's, there's maturity to them that is respectable, that is dignified. The Cretans, they were essentially adolescents, people who just never grew up. I mean, adolescence in scripture is someone who lives for themselves, for their pleasures, for their wants, for their desires, for their values, for their purposes. To be worthy of respect, to, meet, to be dignified, is to reach this level of maturity where you're not living for yourself. It's not the self-centered life, but you're living for others. Older men should be self-controlled. They should be sensible. Uh, this is one of Paul's, Paul's favorite descriptions. You're going to see it come up time and time and time again as he describes how the, the roles of people in the church. Uh, in verse 12, he's going to then encourage the whole family, the whole church, to live a self-controlled, a sensible life, the self-disciplined lifestyle. And this means simply that you do the right thing, that you're controlled enough to do what is right and to avoid what's wrong. Old men, they've lived long enough to know that sin produces and promises far more than it ever actually gives. Uh, they've been around enough to know about sickness and suffering. They've been around long enough to know that, hey, you get all this stuff and really it just kind of sits in your attic somewhere. They've been around long enough to know what should really be important in life. And that's developing this self-disciplined life where you're really living for others, doing what's right. Lastly, Paul says for older men that they should be sound in the faith. That they should sound in faith, sound in love, and sound in perseverance. To be sound literally means to be healthy and whole. So they should be healthy and whole in faith. This describes their relationship with God, with Jesus. They should be healthy and whole in love. This describes their relationship with others. And they should be healthy and whole in perseverance. This means that no matter what, they're going to be committed to doing what it takes to live this healthy, whole lifestyle in relationship with their God and in relationship with other people. And when you think about it, I mean, who wouldn't want that? What, what older Christian man wouldn't want a rich relationship with God and healthy relationships with others? But... How many will sign up for the perseverance demanded to achieve that in their relationships? You know, the greatest example of this is Jesus, who he didn't escape the cross, but he endured it 
Why? So that he could do the will of the Father, maintaining good relationship with him, and also, at the same time, developing a good relationship with humanity by taking upon their sin and dying for all who would believe in him. So bottom line, what the family needs, what the church needs, are older men who faithfully pursue the things of God. The family and the church needs older men who faithfully pursue God. Paul, he then tells Titus the next part of the family talk, and he turns his attention toward the older women. Here's what every family, every church needs from older women. And Paul begins with this word, likewise. Now, since we live in the day and age that we live in, I just want to say that what he's saying here is not that, hey, older women likewise need to live like older men. That's not what he's getting at. What he's saying is just as you taught older men, likewise, you need to teach older women what they need to focus on. And so don't leave them out. They're involved too. They have a role to play as well. And here's what's really important that they know. It's not that their roles are the same. No, in fact, they're distinctly different. Many of the of what's important for older men should also be true of older women, but it's not necessarily what the older women should primarily be focused on. These characteristics should be developed, but it's not like where their attention goes. And so we see where their attention ought to go. And it says first, that they need to be reverent in how they live. And the term occurs nowhere else in the entire New Testament, this term reverent. And it's a word that described how women in, in that day treated the Greek and Roman gods. So it's a cultural term. And basically, oftentimes, older women in this day, they uh, would become priestesses and they would wear all this fancy special kind of clothing and then they would teach others how that you should act when you come to this temple because they were representing whatever God of the temple they were in. And so they essentially acted as this particular God, this particular God's representative. And so what Paul is saying here is that Older women should live your life in such a way that you should be a representation of the one true living God. That when people see you and how you act and how you live and how you talk, that it should represent the one true God. You should have this level of maturity about you. Why? Because you've been around long enough to know that life can't just be caught. It can't just be bottled up and stored up and just pulled out when you want it. It can't be slowed down. That there's more to life than fashion and features and clothing and status. Paul is effectively telling older women that they need to understand that their greatest contribution to the world and to the church and to the family and to the gospel is not going to be their physical attributes, but their spiritual attributes. Charm is deceitful, beauty is vain, but who fears the Lord? Wow, she is worthy to be praised, Proverb 31. And so older women, they should not be slanderers. Uh, Paul doesn't pull any punches here. This word slanders, it can literally be translated she-devils. It means that she should not be a woman who's engaged in any kind of malicious gossip, talking about people behind their back, wanting to know all of the dirt or get the, the scoop about issues or people that they really have nothing to do with. That she should not be one who's tearing others down or complaining with her words, but she should be one who's building others up. That there's this sweetness about her. There's this goodness about her. 
Also, she should not be addicted to much wine. The word literally means to be enslaved to wine. Uh, In other words, she should be in control of what comes out of her mouth, not a slanderer, and at the same time, what goes into her mouth, not addicted to much wine. The the island of Crete was known, amongst other things, for their wine, and alcoholism was rampant amongst men and amongst women. And so the picture here is of a woman who is not dependent upon a substance to face the day, but dependent upon the spirit, that she would walk in the spirit. So there's a sobriety to her and how she lives. Finally, older women should teach what is good. That there should be this ripple effect of a a godly older woman's life. This kind of teaching is, it has in mind to be both formal and informal. So there's this uh, formal teaching where you're gathering younger women together and you are teaching them through the scriptures, right thinking, right doctrine. But at the same time, there's this informality to it. We're just by the way you live, you are this reverent example as you represent God to everyone else. And Paul then says who the target of your teaching is, and it's younger women. See, they, they don't just need a class for themselves. You know, we don't need this older woman's class. No, that's not what we need. We don't need simply to put older women in the nursery or with like the little ones. They, they may be effective there. There's nothing wrong with that. But if you really want a healthy church, the older women need to be discipling younger women. The family and the church needs older women who create a ripple effect of godly living. The family and the church need older women who create a ripple effect of godly living. So, Paul then tells Titus, here's the instructions that the older women should be teaching the younger women. It's actually going to come best from them. It's not going to come best from you, Titus. It's not going to come best from other men in the church. No, if, if you really want to build a healthy church, the best way to build that is when older women are discipling younger women and teaching them these truths. And here's what they need to teach them. First off, that they should teach them how to love their husbands and how to love their kids. And the word for love here is not the word agape. You know, it's not this, this love of the will where I am determined to love my husband. I'm determined to love my children no matter what. This is, this is what I'm purposing in my heart to do. That's not the word that's being used here. The word being used here is the word phileo, which means to show affection toward, to demonstrate a friendship toward your husband and your kids. It's, it's a love that's more of the emotion. It's not just a matter of the will. It's of the heart. It's of the emotion. And so it almost seems kind of odd, doesn't it? I mean, how can you command an emotion? And yet the Bible does this, especially in the New Testament, through, throughout it. And we see all kinds of stuff. Hey, re- rejoice always in all circumstances. Give thanks for you know, the trials that you're going through. And time after time after time, you see this in the New Testament especially. Why? Because there is something about right thinking and then right living that causes the emotions just to come along for the ride. That if I'm purpose to doing this and then I actually do it, well, then my emotions kind of catch up. And so we also have this idea that in our culture, hey, first comes love and then comes marriage. 
but that's not the way it worked back in, in the world at this time. In those days, many marriages were arranged. So it was first comes marriage and then comes love. So it was even especially important. These, these young women especially needed to hear from older women. Hey, you love your husband. You love your children. Maybe your emotions haven't caught up yet, but, but you, you do that, and then your emotions will catch up. You demonstrate this affection towards them. You demonstrate a friendship towards them. And then what happens? Well, it will feel good to love them. Uh, younger women, they also need older women to come alongside them and say, hey, in this culture that promotes self-love, self-promotion, self-centeredness, Here's what it looks like to truly love your husband and your children, and that is self-sacrifice. In Ephesians, Paul elaborated on how a husband was to love his wife. And here Paul says that, hey, it's also important that women need to understand how to love their husbands. When a, when a man loves his wife, it is of the will. You've got to be determined to do it. When a wife loves her husband, Paul's saying, that's of the emotion, that there's this affection and there's this friendship that needs to be emphasized. It's not that the other is not true for either men or women, but here's what needs to be emphasized. Older women must also train younger women how to be self-controlled and pure. They need to be taught how to think biblically and then to act biblically. So their actions are sensible, they're self-controlled, they, they should also be pure, and this carries with it the whole idea of modesty. They shouldn't be using their beauty to try to attack, attract attention that way. Older women should teach younger women to be busy at home. I told you Paul wasn't very politically correct here. The issue here, though, is the issue of priority. I know, you know, we get the image when we hear something like this of, of a woman just kind of barefoot in the kitchen with like six children hanging off of her. She's like washing dishes at the sink or something. Uh, but Paul doesn't mean that the only place a wife and mother can be is in the home. No, I mean, even Proverbs 31, and you look at this description of a godly woman and you just see that she's hiring staff and she's going out and she's helping the poor and she's bartering in the market with tradesmen. And she's expanding her crop rotation system. It's not that her family is her only priority, but it is her number one priority. It is her primary focus. And Paul isn't so much defining here where a wife and a mother can work, but what he's doing is defining that the home is the number one priority. That this is what you prioritize. By the way, this was totally against Cretan culture in that day, just as is ours. So Paul, he's not being any more politically correct now than he was just as politically correct back then. But older women need to teach younger women that in the home, every member of society is impacted. You think about that. Everyone who goes out, they are impacted in the home. It's in the home that your family learns respect for authority, interpersonal relationship skills, compassion, honesty, truthfulness, integrity, and above all, application of biblical truth. And so young women should concentrate on making your home a ministry center, a ministry center for your family, and then one that can impact your neighborhood. And when, when you think about it, it just makes sense why there's such a biblical attack of radical feminism that teaches young women that, hey, if you're a wife and you're a mom and you're just staying at home and not doing anything else, well, you're really missing out. You're like a second-rate citizen. You're out, you're out of step. 
And so there's this pressure from society that tells them, no, you need to do more. And then there's this internal pressure that tells you, hey, man, all I do is do for my kids and do for my husband, do for everybody else. And there's, so there's internal pressure that tells you that you need to focus on yourself. And then there can also be financial pressures that come along with it. And well, I've got to focus on my career more than my family right now because we got to eat. And so there's these pressures that come around. And Paul is saying, hey, you need older women who are going to come alongside younger men, women and just remind them that you must focus on the home. You must prioritize your home. And it might look different in different circumstances. That, that prioritizing, it doesn't look the same for everyone. But the home should be the, fi- the primary focal point for younger women. Also, you got to teach younger women to be kind. There should be a goodness about her. her. Her mentality is bent towards goodness, toward thinking about others before herself. And then younger women should also be taught to be subject to their own husbands so that God's word will not be maligned. It's interesting. Paul uses the middle voice here. And that's important because what he's essentially saying is, hey, husbands, you just can't take this verse and then go to your wife and say, hey, you need to submit to me. That's not how this works. Rather, this is a voluntary submission. It's not I'm submitting because you tell me to. It's I'm submitting because I want to, because this is the inclination of my heart. So now I know that the idea of submission in our culture, it is, again, politically incorrect. It sounds a lot like drinking sour milk. But before you throw the milk out, the truth is, when you think about it, in a well-ordered society, everyone is submitted to someone. I mean, you think about this, right? Children are submitted to parents. Students are submitted to teachers. Athletes are submitted to coaches. Uh, Workers are submitted to their bosses. Citizens are submitted to their government. Everyone submits to someone. And... This whole idea is the idea of respect. That's what submission means. It means respect. And the respect does not so much depend upon the parent, the teacher, the coach, the government. It depends on the position that they have. And so here in this case, it doesn't depend so much on the husband, but it does uh, depend upon the position which he holds within the family. And so the questions come, yeah, 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 but aren't we all equal? Yes, we are completely equal, completely equal in essence. Male and female, made in the image of God, completely equal. We are equal in salvation. We are are equal in our priesthood before God. We all have equal access to God the Father. We are equal in our prayer. We are equal in our worship. We're equal in our accountability to God because of the way we live. However, equality in essence does not mean equality in function. And so God gives different functions for men, and he gives different functions for women. And as we see in this passage, he gives different functions for older men versus younger men, older women versus younger men, that we all have a role to play. Now, that's hard for us because our culture tells us, no, 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 everyone's equal, and equality doesn't simply mean equality in essence, it also means equality in function, and so we want to do with all, away with all gender roles altogether. And you think this is new, but it's not new. This thing has been going on all the way back since the garden. Before sin, Eve's desire was for her husband. There was this natural respect that Eve had for Adam in the garden before sin. That's just how it all worked. That's how God created relationships, how he created the marriage relationship in particular. But after the fall, 
The Bible says that women will, will struggle with male leadership, that they'll struggle particularly in, in, uh, in this relationship with her husband, that her desire will be to manipulate and, and to rule over him. And by the way, the desire of the man is not so much for the wife to be co-equal, which that's how God created it, that woman was by his side co-equally ruling. But now the desire of the man is going to be to put her under his foot so that he's domineering in such a way. And so you got sin issues on women's side, you got sin issues on men's side, and this just creates all kinds of tension, and it's why the marriage relationship can be such a struggle at times. But Paul is saying, Titus, what you need, what every family needs is for older women to teach younger women that the gospel, that what the gospel does is return you to the right kind of relationship that God intended for you to have before the fall. That this restoration of relationship, it'll make a family healthy and it'll make a church healthy. And so when these relationships aren't restored, well, what do you see? You see broken marriages. And then those broken marriages, that affects the church. And so what happens? God were, God's word is maligned. So why, do, why, why is this all important? For the sake of the gospel, for the sake of God's word, the church and the family need young women who build godly relationships in the home. The family and the church need young women who build godly relationships in the home. Now, for young men, they're to be self-controlled. Again, this idea of being sensible is repeated time and time again. It's, it's found again for young men. Even as others are being impulsive, they're doing whatever they want to do, sowing their wild oats or whatever. No, Christian young men, they should exercise self-control. It's a type of lifestyle that's going to fly in the face of what was happening on the island of Crete and fly in the face of what happens oftentimes here in our culture as well. They're to set an example by doing good. That Titus, you set this example for them, but they're there to be this example also. Young men especially need to understand that there's no such thing as armchair Christianity. That you, you are an example. You live it out. You don't just get to sit back, relax. Well, hey, I'm a Christian, so I'm good. No, people are watching. And knowing the Bible without living the Bible produces a generation that doesn't even want to know the Bible. So there is this, there is this importance, this, this critical importance of knowing it, but also living it. And then Paul, he moves from this pattern of living, living to this pattern of thinking. And he says that young men, you need to show integrity in what you teach. So they should be committed to sound doctrine, to right thinking. So you live it out, and then after you live it out, and people have seen this, and you've been this example, now you've earned the right to speak to them. And as you speak to them, you teach them sound doctrine. You teach them right thinking. Because it's impossible to live the Christian life until you think Christianly. Everything today, it has to be relevant, it has to be quick, it has to be funny, it has to be creative, it has to be humorous, all these different things. And as a result, we live in a generation that is suffering from spiritual anorexia. In other words, they have lost their desire, their appetite for doctrinal substance. And so Paul says, if you want to change that in your culture, that what you need are young men who will live it and then teach it who are passionate about sound doctrine. You know, we're in a crisis today in America, and one of the reasons is, did you know that three out of every four Christian books that are sold in this country are sold to women? 
The truth is we have a generation of men and young men especially who have stopped reading. The average man who buys a book does not get past chapter three. And so young men, they, they, they have turned away from the sound truth of the, of the gospel, from this right thinking. They're not engaged in developing it. And if you don't think Christianly, you will not live Christianly. Also, young men, they should have this seriousness about them. In other words, they should live with dignity. Uh, and again, this does not refer to someone who, does, who doesn't know how to laugh or doesn't have a sense of humor. That's not what this is talking about. But it's talking about someone who knows how to laugh at the right things. No, no, there's, the, there's this dignity about them that they're worthy of respect. And by the way, if young men would lead, lead, uh, lead lives that are worthy of respect, well, it would be a whole lot easier for the young women to respect their husbands. So all, all of these, when people play their right roles, it all works together. Lastly, young men should be sound in speech so that they cannot be condemned, so that those who oppose you will not just come and say things about, uh, bad about you. They would have nothing to say. Young men should be known for clean words, that you aren't free to use whatever kind of crass language you want, that you don't have one language here and another language somewhere else. But there's this cleanness to you, that you aren't free to say things that would damage the reputation of the church or the reputation of Christ himself. If the young men would develop a godly reputation in the church, eventually that reputation extends outside of the church. And, you know, this is how God often works, that he takes people, he takes his people who've been cleansed and redeemed and transformed through his word, and then he drops them into a corrupt society. And by their right living, and by their right teaching, and by their clean speech, well, it begins to have this redemptive effect in society, in culture. They become the redemptive ambassadors they are made to be. So understand that every family and every church need young men who will serve as examples of right thinking and right living. The family and the church need young men who will serve as examples of right thinking and right living. You know, Paul, he, call, he tells Titus, you've got to call this family meeting. And everyone needs to know their role because you all have a role to play. And if we've gone through these roles and what we need to focus on in our own lives, maybe you're looking at it and you're thinking, man, I think the ship has sailed. You know, that's just not true of me. I, I, don't, I don't fit those characteristics. Maybe some of them a little bit, but not the way I should. And my family, I mean, I'm looking at the other members of my family. And, I mean, this isn't us. Paul is saying, hey, if you want a healthy family, and if you want a healthy church, this is how people have to live. And so maybe you're not there yet, but the question is, what is the next step that you can take? What are you supposed to do? It's interesting. The older men, they don't have to be so much worried about what the older women are doing. The older women, they don't have to be so much worried about what the younger men are doing. Everyone has their role to play. And if you do your role rightly, then it just kind of bleeds over and everything becomes healthy, whole, pure. And so the question for us really is, what is our next step? What can we do to play our role, the role that God has designed for us? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have designed and you have purpose for each and every one of us, how we are to live and how that will best promote healthy relationships in our own families and in our church family as well. So God, help us 
to live the way you call us to live. And we recognize, just reading through your word, that right living begins with right thinking. So God, help us to be committed to your word. We need your help to do that. So we ask this by the power of your Holy Spirit and the grace of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.